Welcome to Future Forecast, the podcast where we discuss technology, leadership, and sustainability with some of the most influential leaders and entrepreneurs from around the world. We explore their insights into some of the most exciting trends and topics of our time and learn from their personal experiences. I'm your host, Isabel Ringness, and today we'll be talking about artificial intelligence, its potential and potential implications, and entrepreneurship, how to build a technology company to become one of the world's most innovative in just two years. I'm particularly excited today because we're speaking to one of my favorite people and absolute role models, Anita Sherbreda. Anita is the CEO and co-founder of Iris AI, an artificial intelligence company announced by Fast Company to be one of the 10 most innovative companies in AI last year. Iris AI is an AI science assistant and will grow up to be the world's first AI researcher. It's also a 500 startups and tech crunch disrupt startup battlefield. In 2018, Anita was named one of the Forbes top 50 European females in tech. She's a twice TEDx speaker and the first Norwegian to attend Singularity University's GSP. Anita is one of the coolest people I know. She's never had what she refers to as a real job, and Iris AI is nothing less than her fourth startup. The past 10 years, her career has spanned nine industries, including developing an e-learning tool in Silicon Valley, performing theater for babies, reducing energy consumption in the process industry through heat exchanger network optimization, facilitating solar light business creation in Kenya, being in the center of several startups crashing and burning, and she's also built a race car. I got to know Anita through Singularity University's Global Solutions Program, and now we're both faculty and speakers at Singularity University Nordic. Anita, we are absolutely thrilled to have you on Future Forecast. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. To start things off, we like to uh, ask two questions. Mm -hmm. And the first question is, what is your morning routine? (laughs) It's usually kind of like rolling out of bed and kind of like half crawling to the kitchen to get coffee. And then you go straight on the computer or? Um, yeah, pretty much like potentially a shower. You know, I when I'm <laughs> it depends a lot if I'm home or traveling. When I'm home, it's very much like put on, you know, comfy pants, you know, if if at all. That's the beauty of working <laughs> from home. Um, and yeah, just, you know, get get the day started with the first uh, the first meetings. And uh, when was the last time you stepped out of your comfort zone? Oh, I feel like I do all the time. Like it's it's. For me, it's a lot of the little things, um, you know, speaking up to someone I disagree with, uh, which happened uh, about an hour and a half ago, I guess, in a oh, meeting. What happened? <laughs> no, it was just, you know, you know, you work with people, you have different opinions, different viewpoints, and then going, you know what, I don't agree with you. I'm not comfortable having this conversation or whatever it is. Right. It wasn't it wasn't a big deal at all. But I think like when you're. You know, when you're working closely with people, uh, when you have a big team, you know, every now and then you're going to come into situations where it's like, I don't like the direction this conversation is taking or I, I don't understand why we're doing this and then and then having to speak up. So that's just, you know, uh, one of the little things this morning, um, which is a perfectly natural thing to do, I think. I think that's awesome. I think we can all learn from that. But now let's delve into your field of expertise, something that I know our listeners are paying close attention to. AI or artificial intelligence, it's promised to be the next big thing, a driving component in the fourth industrial revolution. And experts are predicting everything from future abundance to future extinction as a result of it. It's plenty of hype, but it's also plenty of promise. Let's start easy or perhaps incredibly hard. What is AI? (laughs) Um, What is it not? Um, (laughs) No, so so for me, the, the... 
simplest way to explain it is that it's just software, but regular software works more like a calculator. You give it A plus B, you get C every time, right? One plus two always means, you know, gives you three, while AI uh, or, you know, AI-based software is more like a human brain. Um, I'll get back to that in a second, but it's more like a human brain in the way that you give it A plus B, and depending on the data it's seen, depending on what it, exper- it has experienced and learned, it might give you a different answer over time, right? So it learns. That's what we call it machine learning. Um, now, that's the easiest way to look at it. It's also incredibly flawed because... Um, you know, for a number of reasons. First of all, we we don't know how the human brain actually works. So saying that we shape these machines after the human brain is just, you know, a very a very limited assumption. Um, secondly, we don't really want to machine build machines that work like the human brain because the human brain is incredibly flawed, right? Let's not repeat the same <laughs> mistakes. Um, and so that's kind of some of the reasons. But but in its essence, uh, machines that actually learn over time, depending on the data they've seen, and can then make their own kind of decisions and assumptions and and um, inference, as you call it, um, on top of that on top of that data. And that actually brings me into the next question because I heard you mention machine learning, and there are several terminologies related to AI that right. are often mixed together. Can you give a semi-easy explanation <laughs> to the difference between, for example, AI or artificial intelligence, machine learning, deep learning, neural networks? What are they? Absolutely. So again, you can slice and dice the kind of academic field because that's what it really is, right? That There's the academic research side and then there's the applied side, which is just taking those results and putting them into practice. Um, you can slice it and dice it in a number of different ways, but and the easiest way to think about it is that artificial intelligence is a very fluffy, very big umbrella term. It was coined in 1956 and has been used for anything and everything that has to do with the field of AI since, right? So expert systems in the 80s, which today we would say, no, that's not really AI, but like in the 80s it was, right? Um, so there's like all of these different technologies that kind of fall into the AI big fluffy umbrella. And AI also un- encompasses Everything from kind of, oh, I'm going to build this little machine learning algorithm to, you know, make this process here a little bit more efficient, all the way up to like this artificial super intelligence that we've, you know, all seen the dystopic versions of in, in Terminator, etc. So, so AI is very, very, very broad and fluffy, which is why I think there's so much confusion around it. Machine learning is also quite fluffy, which is, but it's today, you know, machine learning and AI is quite synonymous, but it's kind of what we're doing today. Um, Neural networks is the, the the largest part of machine learning where we've seen most kind of breakthroughs. Uh, and deep learning is one one facet or one way of doing neural networks uh, where we see about 50% or so of research budgets and R&D budgets going into. So, you know, deep learning or where you have a neural network with multiple layers, that's really kind of um, where we see a lot of breakthroughs, especially in image recognition. But what's important to note is that deep learning and neural networks are probably here to stay at least for a while, but they're just, you know, a set of technologies that today is very, very visible in the world of AI that may or may not be that in the future. Wow. Thank you. That was uh, incredibly <laughs> helpful. Um, so so going into kind of the potential of AI and what I think a lot of our listeners are asking themselves, because they're they're mostly aware of the potential, but maybe perhaps struggling to see how they can apply it themselves. But if you were to pick an industry or two, could you give us some examples of how some companies are using AI in a really helpful way today? Right. I think there's 
the, the thing to understand about AI applied today that actually works is that it's real simple uh, in terms of usability and use case. It's not big, messy, fancy, crazy systems. It's like very simple things. Like, and I, I like to use that example because like every single one of us has a piece of AI in their pocket, right? If you go into your, your Google photos or your uh, photos on your, your um, iPhone, you can go in and you can put in a tag, right? I'm looking for all of my pictures that I've ever taken of cats or skyscrapers or, um, you know, whatever it is, right? Motorcycles, cars, and you find every single picture. And that is AI. So that is a deep learning algorithm that Apple introduced specifically on the iPhone in 2016. Um, so there's these very, very simple things. And when we go in and do that, it's for about two and a half seconds is a little magical and then you're used to it. And then it's like, well, this is not intelligence. This is just, you know, a a filter. It's normal. It's, and, but these things are, you know, back in say 2010, it was simply not possible come 2016 and Apple launched it 2018. And we're like, duh, that's not, that's not fancy. That's super normal. Um, So like it's, it's everywhere. And, And you see that like no matter what industry you're in, you see that. And especially around image recognition. So any industry that has, images, which is most of it, you know, most of our industries has some kind of visual data. Um, And there you can do an an enormous amount of things. And of course, things like um, x-ray scans of lungs and and things like that. And medicine is also one of those, um, you know, fields. And and I'm really fascinated with this um, thing called, I think they call it an autoscope, which is a microscope without the actual part where you look (laughs) in the the microscope, um, because they have a a machine learning algorithm inside that actually reads malaria in blood samples. So you can send this like little box into the field and you don't need a doctor to interpret the results, which means you can highly scale up uh, malaria kind of diagnostics and, and tracking whether treatment works in areas that don't actually have the, the skills and the expertise to, you know, from doctors. Wow. Uh, and, and that's true for very many different uh, diseases, isn't it? Because I know that, I mean, we all know the, the case a few years ago where um, Watson was able to diagnose a very rare form of cancer uh, months before the leading doctors. And uh, there Absolutely. are several, yeah, there are several different use cases where we know that the, uh, the uh, AI is virtually better than the doctors to to predict a disease. Exactly. On very, very simple things. Or simple simple for a machine, not simple for a human, right? Because a machine can scan through a million photos in a day or in an hour or in a minute, depending on how big your server is. But, you know, um, a, a machine can scan through a million images in no time, while a doctor might see in their full career maybe... 2000 pictures of that you know if it's a rare disease even less so so it's just it's really just a numbers game and when we now have image recognition algorithms that are sophisticated enough to track those subtle differences you know then they will outcompete doctors on that field now when it comes to talking to the patient uh, and understanding the full complexity of the picture and, and a lot of other things machines have nothing on doctors yet Exactly. So basically what we find hard today, machines find quite easy and then the other and then way the around. Opposite. Yes, exactly. exactly. So, I mean, it's pretty incredible to see how AI has the potential to revolutionize at least medicine, many other industries as well. But uh, that's just now. And I've heard you speak very passionate, passionately about what we're going to see in the future. And uh, given the trends and the different developments that we're seeing now going faster and faster and faster, what can we expect to see in the future? <laughs> uh, what can we not expect uh, again? <laughs> but so, it's fascinating. 
It is. And and I think it's like, it really, like, you look at science fiction and you look at your own imagination and, and that's where the limit is, right? Um, but if you take a couple of examples, so like, look at chatbots. Chatbot technology today kind of sucks. Like, it's it's not. It really does. Like, it's, it's, <laughs> like, my bank just got this chatbot and I can't really ask it anything, but, you know. And it just leads to more frustration. It, it kind of does, yeah. But, like, it's the worst it's ever going to get. And it's only going to get better from here. Um and it will get better quickly, right? Uh, and you see that with when you see kind of Google I.O.'s conference um, this year where they presented this, this you know, Google Home that calls your hairdresser or your, your restaurant for you. Like, it's pretty impressive how far we've gotten. And I mean, chatbots both in, in writing and in, in voice. It doesn't really matter. That's just the interface. Um, but like conversational bots. And the thing is, they're still as, you know, they're as bad as it, they're, they're, they will ever have been and they will only get better from here. Um, and the thing is, now they're very impersonal, right? But what I'm looking forward to is at some point, um, those bots will become more personal. Uh, obviously, we have some big questions around personal data and, and, and ethics around that. But these um, bots can start to know you and you know learn your behavior, learn what you need, learn what you're thinking about, what you're looking for. And they can sort of eventually get to know you better than you know yourself, which is in some cases can be really scary if you look at kind of what's happening in, in China with social surveillance. On the other hand, if you see the, you know, one of my favorite kind of futuristic scenarios is this idea of one tutor per child, right? In Norway, we've got 28 ch uh, children per teacher, uh, which is which is high, but significantly lower than a lot of other places in the world. Um, but it's still not enough for that one teacher to give every child that personal follow-up. But if you can have a, a let's call it a chat bot or a, a tutor or an assistant um, that follows your child from an early age, can learn, you know, how your child learns, um, you know, what it already knows, where it needs extra help, what your child is really good at and help, you know, and it's not about like creating perfect humans. It's about having each human, letting each human reach their full potential. Um, and you can do that by having this AI system that adapts and learns with your child and then actually have that connected with a human teacher that th can then give that that extra help and care. And that's wonderful. I mean, that potential is just incredible. And I hope that we see that future very fast. We are going to dive into the ethics parts of this because yep. you did mention that um, a little bit later. And I know it's kind of impossible to predict when some of these promises truly come true or materialize. But um, I guess given your work and your network, you're better than anyone else <laughs> to basically predict when we can start seeing these things come true. Do you, could you like give us a time span of when we <laughs> might have every single student might have its own teacher? So, so the fascinating thing, and, and right now we're talking about things that where we're moving more into artificial general intelligence, right? AGI or synthetic creative intelligence, if you like, or this idea that a, a machine is becoming more like more similar to a human in terms of level of intelligence, not just doing one thing and one thing only. Um, if you ask really, really smart people that are working with us every single day, they have no idea. Right. And, and the, you know, the average, I think the average is like 20 years or something from now. Uh, but it goes from like five years from now to like 60 years from now. And then we're talking about super intelligence. No one really knows. So it's really hard to make predictions. And, and one of the reasons for that, it's from what we know right now, like our knowledge right now is very limited, much like the human brain. We don't actually know that much about how the human brain works. So what we believe at this point is that in order to reach 
artificial general intelligence, we're going to have to have significant scientific breakthroughs of our kind of fundamental understanding of the world, potentially in math, potentially in physics, potentially in neuroscience, potentially in, in all of them, that will help us understand the, the, the foundation of what we're building so that we can actually build it. It's not just about writing some smarter code. Um, it's about kind of fundamentally changing the way we view the world or fundamentally increasing our understanding of the world. And one thing is predicting like how fast we can write code. That's, you know, difficult enough, but doable. But predicting, um, predicting like when we're going to see a breakthrough in like mathematical theorems that, you know, you tell me, like no one really knows. Right. And there's a lot of smart people working on this. But fact is, it's, it's really hard to predict those breakthroughs. And just to clarify a few of the terms that you uh, threw out now, it was um, AI, which is artificial narrow intelligence. That's AI that's basically really, really good at one task. And, then and you one have, thing only, yep. And then you have AGI, which is artificial general intelligence, which is the kind of AI that's good at more than one task at a time. Yep. And that's the artificial intelligence that we're working towards now. And then you have the artificial super intelligence, which is kind of the singularity that we know Ray Kurzweil speaks about, where yep. we reach this point in time where... Machine intelligence is a billion times smarter than all human intelligence combined. Something like that. Something like that. Or, or, or as smart as all of us combined. But, you know, it, it, it becomes this, like, the moment we get into discussions on that, it becomes philosophy more than technology. Because Which is we, also an interesting discussion to Absolutely. Have. <laughs> Especially, like, late nights uh, at Singularity. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's the best place to have them. And we've both uh, done that. Um, but everyone is kind of, like, talking about um, artificial intelligence. And I get the feeling that companies are... In, in some ways, maybe like afraid uh, of it a little bit, or they don't know exactly how it might affect them. Do you, do you think that every company needs AI or at least a strategy around it? I think so. That doesn't mean I think every company should develop their own AI systems necessarily. Um, but I think every company needs to consider the impact. And, and every company will be impacted in one way or another, even though they might not, you know, build their own, develop their own, whatever, but they will have to to face it even even industries like the legal profession where you know we're going to have lawyers for the foreseeable future but a lot of the grunt work is going to be done by machines which means being a junior lawyer going to a senior lawyer is going to be really tricky right and we see a lot of different industries where where that's the case like the entire industry is changing even though no one's technically being replaced it's just the dynamic is changing and that's going to happen and like from like you know machines doing your accountant accounting work we're still going to have smart accountants but like a lot of it will be done by machines like there's so many like little things happening that will impact every single industry so the titles the jobs might be the same but the actual content of the jobs will be very different exactly and you might have you might need if you're a legal firm you might need a chief learning officer to figure out how to train your junior lawyers to become senior lawyers for example Exactly. I think we have to go into that topic another time because that's a very interesting and large topic, though. But for the companies that don't have an AI strategy currently, uh, what should they uh, how, how do they even start? What questions should they be asking about? Right. So it's, it's for me, it's, it's pretty simple. It's, it's basic like innovation 101. It's like what problems do we have or what problems do we either have internally or do our users have or our clients have today that are really frustrating and time consuming and, and inefficient and where you have really smart people sitting and doing the same over and same, same thing over and over and over again. That's a really good place to start. Find yeah. some of those. Right. Um, 
But that's very much like applied right now. Then you should also look at the long term, look like 10 years into the future. Assume that we're living in a science fiction novel, which we already are, but like, let you know, assume so. Um, and then think like, where would you want to be? And c- come up with that kind of moonshot crazy vision. And then make sure that the short term projects you choose are somewhat aligned with that big moonshot vision. And then you go out and, you know, you know, from there, it's really like you go out and you talk to those clients or your internal users, figuring out what their problem really is, what data you have that might solve that problem, how you can go about using that data. Then you look at existing machine learning AI frameworks. There is a lot of open source code, um, get some talent in. From there, it's really kind of innovation. Do, a, you know, build a minimum viable product, get it out the door, get try to test it, see if it works. If it doesn't, rebuild it. You know, it's pretty standard innovation procedures. And if you don't need AI, if you don't need machine learning, don't use it. <laughs> That's a good tip. Uh, another tip would probably be to just hire you because it seems like you have the, <laughs> have the answer to the, uh, answers to this. Um, and I've, I've had the honor of hearing you speak uh, many times. Uh, for the listeners, Anita is probably the best speaker in the Nordics. <laughs> the last time I heard you, you teased the audience by telling us how AI might literally impact everything from our schools or health to the way we love. Now, what do you mean? Is AI going to change our relationships? I think it already has, right? How come? So Tinder, OkCupid, all of this. Like, granted, it wasn't AI in the beginning, but there's more and more AI algorithms, smarter and smarter algorithms in this because we have so much data about how people love or you know, potentially just hook up. Uh, <laughs> you know, uh, Let's be honest. Um, and, and I think, you know, AI is already part of that. Um, we already, there's also like, if you look at science fiction, and this was my point in that, you know, part of that talk, if you look at science fiction, you know, movies. Um, so for example, the movie Her, you know, the guy falls in love with this operating system. And obviously that's, you know, years into the future. You know, I already have a friend that's, and I'm allowed to use a story uh, if I don't mention names, <laughs> um, you know, who every night, he's very, very single, very single. And every night he um, he has this little, Apple HomePod and every night he goes, hey, Siri. And Siri goes, hmm. And he says, good night, babe. And she tells him good night. You know, and it's it's not, you know, it's, he's not in love with his operating system quite yet, but it's still like it provides some sort of companionship or right? some some sort of human interaction. Um, and it's silly and it's goofy and, and, and he's joking about it. Um, but I think like we're seeing these robot robot human interactions, right? Um, where, you know, whether it's just software or or AI that becomes more and more sophisticated, we're seeing these interactions. And I think that is changing, um, you know, a lot of those things and also just staying in, in touch with your loved ones, right? Like video calls, contacts, like there's so much of these systems that are more and more run on, on AI machine learning algorithms where we can stay instantly in touch with everyone we love. So I think, you know, we're already basing a lot of our lives on this. Some is AI, some is more, you know, just software. Don't get me wrong, but but we're already doing it. And I think that will just continue continue to uh, to be the case. It's pretty fascinating. And I think when you think about it, it's it does provide a lot of joy also to the elderly that I know use uh, robots and stuffed animal robots and stuff to, to, to have companionship when, I mean, we just don't have enough human resources to provide them with that. Yep. But it's also a bit scary. I mean, we don't want people to be, you know, n- not choosing other people because they find 
I don't know, robots better because they just kind of give them whatever they want. I mean, it, it just the whole scenario kind of sounds, I guess, a bit freaky to people. But Absolutely. you went with you went. I know. <laughs> exactly. and, 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 and you know, maybe we shouldn't get into like the whole sex robot thing, which is another <laughs> another uh, level of, of, of that. Discussion. But maybe uh, I'll ask you back to talk about that, actually. Um you, but you went to uh, Singularity uh, together with me, and uh, you, as uh, I, have a pretty positive outlook on the future. We like to see how these technologies will positively impact uh, our lives. But uh, none of us are naive, and there are definitely challenges, both in terms of developing it, developing it, but perhaps more importantly, the ethical dilemmas as we continue to develop AI. What do you think are the challenges that companies, but also individuals, should be concerned with? So, where do we begin? Um, so, first of all, there's some some kind of basic fundamentals, which is data bias. Um, and you know, if you have, you know, in its simplest form, if you have a, a room full of of white men, uh, 25 years old, uh, who's grown up in in a relatively kind of rich, wealthy environment, they're going to think in a certain way. Just like if, if, you know, if the world had been different and you had all, you know, a room full of, of black women growing up in, you know, rural Kenya or whatever, put those, those in a room together, they will also think in an entirely different but very similar way, right? We have, you know, incredibly similar groups of teams developing these things, which means you don't have people second guessing, you know, choices that you make. And that's at its basic form, you know, a problem about data bias. Like we don't think about it, right? If we have, if we don't have a lived experience of something, we don't think about it. And when then we select, you know, a data set, uh, let's say we, we work with a, you know, a tool that has something to do with the population, we don't think about whether or not every part of the population is represented. We don't think about, you know, looks and, and geography. And like, there's just like, we, we think with our own experience, right? That's how our brains are limited. Uh, so that's one problem. Um, that we need more diversity in the team so that we think about all contexts. Then we also need to understand that the data sets we uh, use for mach- for the machines to learn are based on the past, right? And there's two problems with it. First of all, data selection. Again, did anyone else choose to collect this specific data in the past? And what does that mean? And where does it come from? And, and why is it chosen the way it's done, deliberately or not deliberately? But also, does this past actually represent the future? And that comes to like you know, uh, tools that help us serve up job ads better, which are really smart tools. But if you base that on historic data, no woman is ever going to get an executive position mm-hmm. because women don't get executive positions historically, right? And and so you have, you know, so there's a, a whole kind of variety of data bias we could dig into. Um, so that's one thing. Um, then, um, you know, there's also um, access to these tools, of course. There's, there's another... Um, there's another thing that, that isn't that much talked about, which is understanding the business model behind the tools that we're, we're doing, right? So, like, Google is a great company, or Alphabet, I should say now. Um, they do, a, I mean, they have thousands of thousands of AI researchers. They do a lot of really, really cool research. Um, their business model is, you know, selling people more shampoo, right? Now, if they reach a place where they've built artificial general intelligence, their business model is still very likely going to be selling us more shampoo. Now, is that the world we want to live in where this like super smart system is selling us shit we don't necessarily need, you know, more than once every once every while? So, you know, and, and every company has a business model and understanding what business model we're building into our AI systems is going to be vital once those systems gets really, really, really smart because they can be smart in ways 
we don't even know. Because I want to ask you briefly, uh, how, well, there is no brief answer to this question, but how <laughs> do you even start addressing these challenges? Is, is, I mean, you mentioned diversity, uh, and, and I talk a lot about diversity, but I mean, e- besides just trying to do what you can to get a more diverse workforce and, and getting more diverse eyes on the algorithms that you are developing, what again, questions should, should these companies be asking themselves right. in order um, to reduce the bias? So it depends so much on what, what you're working on, right? Are you working on personal data? Are you, are you not? Are you working on, you know, things where things like gender and, and race and, and abilities come into the picture or not, right? And if you're not, what, you know, what could the impact be on you kind of automating things? Like there's, there's so many a- aspects to that. So I think what companies need is, and this is proposed by, by, you know, a, a lot of a variety of sources is is having kind of an ethics board and having ethics guidelines um, and kind of having the discussions, being able to question yourself, having people question you so that you don't at least as a starting point, you don't end up sit- sitting afterwards going, oh, we didn't even think about it because we were a room filled with people who think exactly in the same way. And and the, the thing that I was going to say that, that that slipped my mind, which is also really interesting in this context, is one of the things that our machine learning systems usually don't do today, which we need to solve, is having them tell us how they reach their conclusion, right? Step by step, why did the system reach the conclusion it did? Because a lot, today, a lot of this, you know, a lot of the results are, are just black box to us. Like we see the result and it seems to make sense, but we don't know why. And having machines that can kind of tell us step by step why it does what it does, that will also help us in understanding some of this kind of, you know, to to spot the biases and and the problems easier. Actually, I guess your company is a really good example of how you should do this. I mean, you're very diverse. Uh, Yep, you really are. You're all from different backgrounds and countries and cultures. Uh, and uh, you all work from different places in the world, yep. uh, which is fascinating in and of itself. Um, but you also develop AI, so I guess you kind of have all the checkpoints. Uh, <laughs> how do you how do you see that your own company benefits from from the diverse uh, people that work there? I mean, we just have a lot of fun. <laughs> That's a starting point, and 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 a lot of really interesting discussions and debates. And we have people. Uh, we're lacking. We're lacking. Well, we have people in the U.S. as well. Actually, we so we have pretty much every every part of the world, uh, most parts of the world, I should say, um, covered. Um, and we, you know, it's it's we've been distributed from the start, so we've never had um, we've never had a, a full office where everyone is collected. That includes the co-founders. We were in four different countries uh, when we started the company, um, and that's kind of been our culture from the start. And and we've kind of just kept that going, hired people, like hired the best people wherever they are. We haven't required them to move to anywhere. We haven't been limited by geography. Um, You know, we've had people when we hired them, they were like, oh, but like I live here, but there's this there's this person that's really cute in this other country and I might (laughs) may or may not be. And we're like, we don't care. Like, great. Good for you. We'll hire you. And like whenever you move, just let us know. So we change where we pay our taxes. Oh, my God. You sound like the best leader. I would <laughs> love to work for you. That that just sounds amazing. And I know that you've never worked in a traditional company before, but then you are now a CEO of a company that seems to be going very well. But what's your secret? Do you have any uh, leadership tips that others in more traditional companies might find helpful? I don't. I don't necessarily think that I'm particularly um, structured in my way of thinking about it. I'm I'm honest. 
Um, I, you know, I'm just being myself. Like I'm not, I don't, I don't really have any tips like, oh, you should do this strategy. Cause like, I don't, I don't have a strategy. I'm just, I'm me. I like, I speak my mind. I am honest with my employees. Like we try, we have this like fundamental, actually that's one thing, which, which isn't me per se. It's, it's the team that we've, we've built. And we have this principle of transparency. Like we don't keep secrets from our employees. We tell them what's going on. We tell them when things are rough. We tell them when things are great. There's no, there's nothing we're hiding from them. And I think that's kind of the, one of the core principles that I see a lot of companies not doing, right? You work at a place and you have no idea what's going on. It's easier, of course, when you're 16 as opposed to 16,000. But, you know, that's that's been one of our kind of core principles from day one. And I know you didn't want to give any tips, but, I mean, you guys have grown really, really fast. You're being really successful. I mean, do you have like one or two things that you think are required from leaders to succeed in the future in, in terms of the way of thinking even that you were that you briefly touched upon? Yeah, I, I think so. I mean, what we've done, right, like the reason why we've been able to attract these brilliant, brilliant, amazing human beings is that we have a vision that we're working towards. It is very, very clear what we're working towards and that if we achieve that goal, the world will be a better place when we when we achieve it. And that's kind of been, that's why we started this company. That's why we continue running it. Uh, and so kind of our, our impact focus has been like foundational from day one. And I think that's, you know, especially, especially so the research team, I think everyone, but especially so our researchers, they, you know, they jumped over from academia over to, I guess, I guess you can call us industry uh, or the startup world or whatever, whatever we're part of. And, you know, they did that because they saw that like this, this really has meaning. Uh, and so they left kind of solid careers to, you know, to come into that. And, and that's one of one of the things. And you see that in big companies as well, right? The ones that have a vision that knows where they're going, they, they have a kind of pronounced like moonshot idea that they're going for. That attracts a lot of people, especially so younger people who are, you know, you can say what you want about millennials, but we're, you know, we're impact driven, you know, and yeah. that's that's the group that you that you um, attract. So show your employees how their job, their work is contributing to the bigger picture, basically. Exactly. But uh, we're running out of time. Uh can you tell us quickly what's next for you now? What I mean, what are your future plans? <laughs> well, um, so for the company, I'm, I'm still gonna I'm gonna be a little secretive about that. We have some some exciting plans coming up, um, but uh, you know, keep keep doing what we're doing, and then and then think probably even even bigger and crazier than we have done until now. Um, I've been following you for the past three years, <laughs> so I'm 100 percent sure that you were speaking the truth. Um, so we'll see how that how that goes. Uh, and personally, I'm just gonna keep having fun. Good. That seems to be going well for you. <laughs> and uh, finally, three standard questions before we let you go. If you could give your 20-year-old self two pieces of advice, what would they be? Two pieces. Um, first of all, like, don't worry. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be all right. Don't worry about it. Uh, secondly, you know, don't take everything so goddamn seriously. Just go out there and enjoy everything. Ooh, yeah, that would be a great advice for, I think, every 20-year, even every 30-year-old, actually. What is your favorite podcast? So I actually don't listen to a lot of podcasts. I don't oh. know if this is the right forum to, uh, <laughs> to, to do that. I've, I've, been, I've been very fascinated by um, Esther Perel's um, podcast lately, and she's, she's just amazing. But that's way outside of, of tech and everything. But um, she's, uh, she's brilliant. But it's also good to fill your mind with other things than tech, exactly. given that you're surrounded by it all day. And finally, where should people go to follow you? 
Uh, not my house. That would be great. Um, <laughs> no, so, so uh, you know, uh, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn. I, I don't like any of them, but I'm, I'm at all of them. Good, good. Thank you so much for joining us, Anita. This has been so interesting, super inspiring. And I honestly can't wait to see you on stage very soon. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to the Future Forecast podcast. I'm Isabel Ringness. Tune in next week for more insights and expert tips on technology, leadership, and sustainability. 